Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland, it's another frustrating one. It's the Red Sox 5, the Indians 3. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And you know what? I couldn't wait to talk about this one. It was a late afternoon game. I got old man softball in the morning, so I figured why not? I'd sit down with you tonight and talk about the game before I fall asleep. So that makes this. And if you're new to the show, just a fun segment we do. Doesn't change anything about the show, but that makes this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Now, obviously, the one thing it does change about the show is some of the websites like Baseball Reference and Fangraphs don't have updated stats and numbers for us. Luckily, Baseball Savant does have all their stuff up and ready to go so we can dig into this game and talk about what happened, where it fell apart for the Indians. And, uh, man, this, this is rough. This is rough. It was a chance. This Boston series was a chance to maybe, maybe keep our names relevant in the wild card. And instead, with two losses now back-to-back against them, we're back under 500. we We're 10 games back in the uh, Central Division. And for the wild card, we are now also 10 games back. I mean, nobody's hit their elimination number yet, but it's safe to say we are playing for 2022. We are playing to see what kind of a team we're going to have in 2022 when we come back as the Guardians. Hey, Before we get into the storylines, I'm running a contest right now. I'm giving away some free t-shirts, the new Cleveland Baseball Mornings t-shirt. All you got to do to win a t-shirt is leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's the big app that most people listen to, so I know I appreciate that some of you listen in other ways. If you want to leave a rating or review on any of those other apps, that's awesome, but Apple Podcasts, if we can get the show popping on there heading into next season, that would be awesome. So if you leave a rating and a review, a five-star rating and a review, hey, you feel free to be honest, but I'm only giving t-shirts away to the five-star reviews. DM it to me, email me at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know you did it. We'll get your shirt size, we'll get your information, and we'll send you a free t-shirt. The first five people that hit me up like that, the first five people to leave the ratings and reviews and let me know about it, will win a free t-shirt. And I base most of my decisions on life, on how I can get a free t-shirt. So this is an easy one for you. If you want a free t-shirt, that's the way to do it. All right, now let's get into the storylines of this game because I don't know about you, but man, I I really thought the Indians were going to have this one. I really thought the Indians were going to do it two nights ago. And uh, I really thought the Indians were going to do it tonight. And man, they just could not get the big hit. When they needed it, there were so many opportunities. We're going to talk about the pitching matchup. We're going to talk about the battle between Evaldi and Cal Quantrill because it was. There was a real pitcher's duel going on out there between two pretty good pitchers. And they really took this afternoon game and ran with it. But the heart of this game, the big storyline of the game, the I mean... The Indians had so many opportunities. I mean, the Red Sox had their own opportunities, too. Don't forget, they had guys on in the seventh inning. Quantrill's last inning, Verdugo starts it with a single. Christian Vasquez walks. This is in a 2-2 game in the seventh inning. Travis Shaw gets down a sack bunt, moves the runners up. 
Jonathan Aruiz then pops out to make it two outs, and Duran flies out to end that threat. So a fantastic job of pitching by Cal Quantrill to get out of a really sticky situation. The first two guys getting on like that, a real chance for Boston to jump out to a lead and let their bullpen go to work. Instead, it stays a 2-2 game. And at this point in the game, their bullpen was already at work because uh, Evaldi doesn't make it out of the sixth inning. He actually gets into trouble back in the sixth inning. Uh, Jose Ramirez would pop out to start that inning. Fermil Reyes would rocket a double into left center field, 111.9 miles per hour. Bradley Zimmer would walk behind that. Zimmer did a great job of getting on base yesterday. Uh, I know he didn't come up with a big hit when we needed it, but he was on base a ton yesterday. He was one for two with two walks, so three times on base. A pretty good day at the play for Zimmer. This is where things start to fall apart, though. Bobby Bradley did have some hits early. In fact, had an RBI early. And we'll talk about those early RBIs in a second. I mean, it's a 2-2 game at this point. The big storyline here is that we just couldn't deliver. Bobby Bradley ends up striking out with, uh, you know, two guys on and one out. And then Austin Hedges comes out, and he lines out to end the threat. Bobby Bradley would end up leaving six men on base by the time the day is over. Austin Hedges would leave eight. This is really the black hole in the lineup this this day, on this day. I mean, Hedges is not much of a force offensively anyways. He does have a tend to get a hold of one every now and then. But he was 0 for 5 on the day. And in some huge RBI moments, left eight men on base. So the Indians come up now in the seventh after Quantrill gets through the seventh inning himself. The Indians come up. Mercado starts things off with a single. Uh, gets a lucky single here, uh, hits it back to the mound, and it's a chopper that no one can feel, no one can, no one can get to quickly. So he beats it out without a throw. Uh, Andres Jimenez would walk behind him. It would move runners up. Now this is an interesting situation here because Sawamura comes in in relief for the Red Sox, and uh, Jimenez is trying to bunt Mercado up to second. They're trying to get that runner into scoring position. I know some of you have huge problems with the bunt here. You got to admit, the number nine hitter should be able to drop down a bunt, right? Well, Sawamura can't find the strike zone, and Jimenez draws a walk. Now, Miles Straw comes up. He's up in the count 2 0. Sawamura still can't find the strike zone, but Miles Straw decides that he should. Well, he didn't decide. DeMarlo Hale decided that Miles Straw should do- drop down a sack bunt here. Instead, he ends up popping it up. I hate this decision. I hate it. Miles Straw is your leadoff hitter. He's someone who's been hitting fantastic for you since coming to the team. He's someone I want swinging away in that situation. You already have Mikado to second base. You already got the guy in scoring position. Let Miles Straw, your leadoff hitter, see what he can do in a big moment. This is not the guy to sack Bunton with. This isn't like earlier in the season when you were trying to find anybody you could to hit leadoff and you had zero confidence in that person. This is someone you should have confidence in swinging away. Instead, he pops up the bunt, which he should be able to get the bunt down anyways, but he pops it up on a 2-0 count when the guy hadn't even proved he could throw a strike. I might not have even let him swing. I would have given him the red light, to be honest. I would have given him the red light until Sawamura threw a strike and then seen what, what what situation we were in. 
but he pops it up. Ahmed Rosario would ground out to second. Uh, it would move the runners up, but uh, there was nothing that he could do. Uh, you know, he couldn't drive anybody in, and they couldn't turn the double play because of where it was hit. I think it was an awkward situation where the they were in the shift for Ahmed Rosario, so they couldn't actually get, um, you know, a double play turn there. They end up walking Jose Ramirez because, of course, why not? You've got an open base, so they walk Jose Ramirez. And then that brings up Fermil Reyes. And Fermil Reyes works this count. I mean, he battles here. Oh, that's right. Ahmed Rosario didn't ground out to second base. He grounded it back to Sour Moret, but it like popped up out of his glove. And the only thing he could do was go to first base. Uh, so they intentionally walk Jose Ramirez. And then Fermil Reyes comes up with the bases loaded. Now, he has already delivered some huge hits on the day, right? He already... Uh, had the home run. He already had the double. Sawamora just attacks him high and tight. High and tight with everything. Throws him a splitter that basically almost hits him for the first for a ball one. Uh, throws him a forcing pass fastball up and in that he swings through for strike one. Uh, throws him another forcing fastball up over his head for ball two. Throws him a splitter inside. Now he's worked it to a 3-1 count. Throws him another fastball high and tight in the, uh, right off the edge of the strike zone that he swings through. And then throws him a splitter high and tight that he strikes out on. So he had three swings at pitches high and tight and couldn't do anything with them. That's a problem. That's a real problem right there that he couldn't pull one of these balls down the left field line. I mean, they're begging him. They're begging him to drive a ball but they're keeping it tight on him. And uh, we all know that Fermil's a guy that likes to use the opposite field. He likes to get his arms out there. And apparently going high and tight is really effective. So he ends up stranding the bases loaded in that seventh inning. How many guys would he end up leaving on base? Those, those three. That's how many guys he would leave on base on the day. Three for him. Overall as a team, they're only two for 13 with runners in scoring position. So uh, that would take us then to the eighth inning. Shaw would get into some trouble, but he would get out of it with a big strikeout of Alex Verdugo. Actually drops a curveball on him to get the strikeout. I've been begging for Shaw to throw a pitch besides that cutter. And when we get to the player breakdown, you'll see why. Because the cutter sucked. But the curveball, the surprise curveball, gets Verdugo to strike out. Uh, The Indians wouldn't really have much after Bradley Zimmer would walk. Bobby Bradley would ground out. Austin Hedges would ground out. Oscar Mercado would fly out. That would be the eighth inning, so nothing really there once Bradley Zimmer started that inning on base. Uh, They would start the ninth inning with a double off of uh, Class A. Uh, In a tie game, he brings in Class A in the ninth, figures this is my chance to use him. I got to keep this game close, give myself a chance to win. Gives up a leadoff double into the left field corner, but Travis Shaw would line out at 106.1 miles per hour. Our Ruiz would strike out, and then Durand would ground out to end the threat. So a great job of Classe holding it down in the ninth. In the ninth inning for the Indians, Miles Straw would get on with a single with one out, but Ahmed Rosario would strike out, and Jose Ramirez would fly out. So that brings up the Red Sox in the 10th inning, and he goes to Nick Wickren in the 10th inning. And I can't believe we're this far into the podcast, and I'm just mentioning this now, but he goes to Wickren because there is no more Karinczak. Karinczak was sent down to AAA. 
they uh, they made the move to make room for Bobby Bradley coming off the IL. And frankly, I think all of Cleveland Indians fandom is fine with it. We, we've been done with Karinchek for a few weeks now. I mean, honestly, since the sticky stuff happened, and some of you on Twitter, I know one of you in particular, was like, I told you back in May, and you did. You were totally on it. And uh, he, was, he was cheating with sticky stuff, and he's really got to figure out how to pitch without it because it has been awful watching him pitch without it in the majors. So he's going down to AAA, but that means... The other guys have to step up in the bullpen, and they've been trying to, and Nick Wickren gets his chance here in the 10th inning, and it does not go well. Schwarber starts things off with a 100.8 mile per hour single. Uh, they can't score the runner from second, though. They hold him up. I think that single was in the left field, and that brings up J.D. Martinez, and he ends up throwing, what pitch did they actually credit this as? It looked like a little bit of a slider that didn't spin. I actually think they credited it as a cutter. Yeah, it was a cutter that was middle of the plate, right at the thighs. And J.D. Martinez shoots it in the right field, 106.2 mile per hour exit velocity, 395 feet. And that's the thing about starting that run around second. It turns things into a big inning very quickly. And the Red Sox take a 5-3 to three lead. It was the first runs they had scored since the first inning. They finally score again in extras. The Indians would get their chance in the 10th. Fermil Reyes would walk, and that would create a situation where now you got runners on first and second, and anybody who hits a home run here ties the game. Bradley Zimmer gets hit by the pitch, gets hit in that arm padding. Man, I'm telling you, Bradley Zimmer leads the league in getting hit by pitches up and in. And uh, so he loads the bases. Bobby Bradley comes up, has a chance to be a hero in his first game back, and gets blown away by the fastball. Now, this was a little bit unfair. Um, Martin Perez against Bobby Bradley. The first pitch is a sinker for a called strike. Frankly, it's out of the strike zone. Bobby Bradley even looked at the ump, gave a gave a harumph, gave a gave a you know a sigh, a shrug. Because uh, he knew this pitch was up out of the strike zone, and it was. We all saw it on TV. The next pitch is another high sinker. He lays off again, thinks he's going to get the call this time. He does not. It's called strike two. Throws him another high sinker. This one actually in the zone. And uh, he swings through it. He's finally got a swing at it, and he blows him away. One pitch, one swing, and he's down on strikes with the Base is loaded. Now, Bobby, it's unfair. It's unfair that you got that call. You know, the umpire made that call to start the at-bat. But once he got himself into that situation, he, he couldn't do anything with it. He got a pitch that he still should have been able to hit. It was a pitch that was up that he probably could have shot the other way. He just couldn't do it off the lefty. Then they bring Adovino in to face all the righties. His first pitch is a bad call, a sinker that was way inside to Austin Hedges. Austin Hedges even turns to the umpire, and uh, they get a good shot of him here, saying to the umpire, uh, I can't hit that pitch. Like, what do, you, what do you expect me to do with that pitch? That pitch is a good baseball or two off the plate. Like, wh- I'm not going to swing at that. Uh, so he takes that for a called strike, then swings at a slider away. Works a few more pitches. Eventually, he gets him with a high fastball. Gets him to chase the high fastball. And that brings up... So that was with the bases loaded. Two strikeouts, like I said. 
Bobby Bradley and Austin Hedges had multiple chances to be heroes on this day. They couldn't get it done. Oscar Mercado actually takes a first pitch slider and shoots it into right field, just gets it past the second baseman. It brings in one run. They hold everybody else. You can't force it. There's just too many runners that have to come across there. There's no reason in getting Fermil Reyes thrown out at home plate when you need another hit anyways to win this game. And uh, that would bring up your number nine inner Andres Jimenez. He would battle for six pitches. Eventually, he would swing at a slider away that he probably could have laid off of for ball two, but he swings at it, grounds out to second base to end the game. He made a valiant effort to try to beat out the throw, but that ends the game. So what an incredibly frustrating day for the Indians offense. And I mean, so many chances. It's just chance after chance for Bobby Bradley and Austin Hedges to be heroes. They just can't get it done on the day. All right, on the pitching side of things, that that from the seventh inning on, and really from the sixth inning on, it erases what was a pretty good pitching duel between Ivaldi and Cal Quantrill. Now, they jump on Quantrill early. They hit a solo home run off him. Schwarber hits a home run off him in the first. Then uh, J.D. Martinez singles, and Bogertz doubles into the corner. They actually rule it an error because... Daniel Johnson didn't pick the ball up cleanly off the warning track, so they rule an error there. Martinez is able to come all the way around from first and score. That's how they get their two runs. After that, Quantrill would absolutely lock in and shut things down for the next six innings. Him and Hedges talked. They changed their approach. They threw some more off-speed pitches to keep them off balance. It was a really good plan of attack after that from Quantrill and Austin Hedges. The Indians are able to answer back in the second for Mio Reyes in his first at-bat. Hits a home run to left field. He takes a splitter down that he goes down and gets, and he's able to lift the ball and shoot it out over the bleachers in left field. Let's see what the exit velocity was on that. 105.6 mile per hour, 27 degree launch angle, 434 feet. Uh, Bradley Zimmer would follow that up by shooting a double into the right center field gap at 96.6. And then Bobby Bradley gets one off the handle that he flares out into center field for a single. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And uh, Bradley Zimmer scores all the from second on that weak hit. Uh, I'll show you how much better it is to be lucky than good. Bradley Zimmer's double that he smokes into right center field at 96.6 that he thought about going for a triple four and threw on the brakes had an expected batting average of 300. Fair. The off-the-handle flare from Bobby Bradley that went 66 miles per hour off the bat had an expected batting average of 830. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. So that's how the Indians get their two runs. And then both pitchers just absolutely lock in. Uh, going to the player breakdown, there were a lot of things working for Avaldi. His curveball was working for him, got a, six called strikes on the curveball, had a 48% CSW on his curveball. His slider was getting the swinging strikes, 13 swings, seven whiffs on that slider. It's good for a 43% CSW, 33% CSW total on the day for Evaldi. Like I said, he goes five and a third innings limiting the Indians to two runs. On the other side of things, Quantrill was very much looking like an ace after that first inning. What was working for him was his slider. Ended up getting nine called strikes on the slider. Threw a bunch of backdoor sliders. Locked up a bunch of hitters with that slider. Uh, 34% CSW on the slider. 
They call it a sinker here on Savant, on StatCast, but we I think we both know it's a two-seamer, more of a two-seam fastball. Also did good with that one. Um, they were able to put that one in play a lot, though. They did put that one in play eight times. Even It had a 29% CSW. Uh, the curveball, I mean, it's a little bit of an outlier. He only threw it four times, but he got three called strikes with it, a 75% CSW on a curveball. So a little bit of an outlier there, but still a pitch that was very effective when he pulled it out of his back pocket. So it's a good, uh, it's a 30% CSW overall in the day for Cal Quantrill. So a good job from both pitchers of getting strikes and really, really controlling this game, uh, you know, until the bullpens had to take over. Uh, Looking over at the illustrator, I'd love to see where uh, Quantrill was getting his strikeouts. Uh, and let's zoom in on this thing. He uh, he gets a high two-seam fastball to get Duran swinging on a 2-2 count. That was in the third inning. We're just going top to bottom here on the Illustrator. He also goes high with a two-seamer to get Raphael Devers. That was in the sixth inning on a 2-2 count. Um, he goes in. He goes a slider, a backdoor slider, leaves a slider out um, from the righty that lands on the left edge of the strike zone. Remember, we're looking from the catcher's view here. That was on a 1-2 count. It gets the called strike on a pitch that was eh, it's a little bit off the left side of the plate. Uh, throws a sinker, a hard sinker, in to get Kyle Schwarber on a 2-2 count. Challenges him inside with that two-seamer sinkerish pitch. Uh, throws a slider across the plate to get Xander Bogart swinging. That was in the fourth inning. And then uses another slider for a called strike. So two called strike threes on that slider. This one to Jonathan Aruiz in the third inning. So, like I said, he left a couple of backdoor sliders there uh, that got some called strikes. So, really effective pitch for him on the day. So, yeah, that was what's going on with Cal Quantrill. Uh, it, it was a great day. He deserved a win today. In fact, I mean, both pitchers really deserved a win today. Both of them take no decisions in this one. Um, yeah, and then this, the bullpen behind them, Shaw... Did fine. He got into trouble, but a big strikeout with that curveball. Classe did good in the ninth. And Wickren falls apart in the 10th inning. And frankly, looking at Wickren's splits, he should not be pitching in the ninth inning or extra innings for that matter. He's fine in the seventh, fine in the eighth. His ERA in the seventh inning, 393. 1.04 whip, almost a one whip. His ERA in the eighth inning, 2.63. His whip in the eighth inning is 0.88. Pitch this guy in the eighth inning. My God. That's in 13.2 innings. Uh, he's pitched the most in the seventh and the eighth inning. In five innings of, of ninth inning baseball, he's got a 12.6 ERA in the ninth inning. 1.8 whip. He's given up three home runs in only five innings of ninth inning baseball. Not a closer. Just doesn't have the mentality for the ninth inning. And it carries over to extra innings. He's got a 6.0 ERA in extra innings. I'm assuming this is updated with today's game. Uh, he's pitched three times in the 10th inning, or in extra innings, I should say. It doesn't, it doesn't specify the 10th. It's just extra innings. He's pitched three innings of extra inning baseball, given up five runs, only two earned, uh, given up a home run, uh, three walks, two strikeouts, with a 2.67 whip in extra innings. So we really need to get Wickren in the game earlier because from ninth inning on, it is not pretty. And 
J.D. Martinez gets him, tags him, gets a cutter in the middle of the plate, and it's the game-winning hit. So it's another tough loss for the Indians on a day when it felt like things were going to go our way. We had so many chances where you... This is one of those fun games where you have to stop. You have to stop whatever you're doing. For me, it was working on my basement where you have to stop and you have to look at the phone or look at the TV. That's right. I'm watching on my phone while I'm working. And uh, you got to stop and watch no matter what's going on. You're cooking dinner, right, for the family. You're whatever. You're playing with a dog. You're like, okay, everything has to stop. We got the bases loaded. This is a big moment. And then the big moment just didn't happen. So it was one of those really frustrating games like that. We should all be celebrating. Frankly, we should be celebrating two wins over Boston at this point. But honestly, I guess that, I mean, that's the difference, right? That is the difference between being a 70-plus win team and a 60-plus win team, right? A team that's well over 500 versus a team that just fell below 500. That's the difference, pulling out these games. So... Obviously, it's something that the Indians are going to have to work on or the Guardians are going to have to work on, frankly, next season. They're going to have to get the magic back in these games and pull out these wins. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. We got Eli Morgan on the mound tomorrow. For you listening to this, we got Eli Morgan on the mound today. It's a 110 start against Boston going against Houck uh, for the Red Sox. Let's see what Eli Morgan can do if he can salvage a win here and keep us at 500. All right, for show merch, remember to visit clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com for premium t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. We got it for men. We got women stuff. We got kids stuff. Show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts and gear. The link is in the show notes. And it's my pinned tweet on Twitter at Davey Barris. Go check it out. If you want to rock some Cleveland baseball merch around town, that would be awesome. Get people talking about Cleveland baseball mornings. All right. Again, the final from Cleveland. It's the Red Sox 5, the Indians 3. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, your frustrations with the Indians, your thoughts about Karen Check getting sent down. We'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Baseball Nightly.